you're listening to Reba Radio, the podcast. From 18th to the 26th of November 2021, our annual inclusion festival took the form of a dedicated radio station broadcast live from the bookshop at the Reba's HQ in London, with me, Marsha Ramroop, the Director of Inclusion at the RIBA, hosting the discussions. Reba Radio, the podcast, is the speech-only content from that radio station, themed and edited for your easy consumption. We suggest you make your way systematically through all episodes from the intro to the end to help you effectively on your inclusion journey. We hope you enjoy it and find it useful and applicable. Sweet Solutions. Oh, yeah. We're talking Squeak Solutions as we talk about CQ Action because it's about being adaptable, taking the actions to be supportive of the underrepresented and by being mindful of their needs and reactions and getting great outcomes. To speak about this, I'm joined by Hikaru Nisanka, uh, Arthur Mamumani and Mark Nagel, who all work in the architecture sector. So, um, Hikaru, I'd like to start with you. I'll call you Hik if that's OK. And... Um, by uh, start by asking you, how would you describe yourself in terms of your work and, and who you are? And how do you disrupt the status quo to shape our lives? <laughs> um, so I'm a director of an architecture practice called Irma Max. Um, and also historically, I've done quite a lot of teaching over the last 10 years at various institutes. Um, from Cambridge, UCL, AA, those sorts of places. Um, in terms of the specific topic, I mean, I do my best, I think, as any, as any responsible human kind of does. Um, one hopes. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> how, how better to answer it. Yeah. That's a quote from you, by the way, on your website. <laughs> Just so you know. Martha Mami Mani, how would you describe yourself and what does inclusivity look like for you? Ah, um, I'm an architect. I'm also a teacher. Um, and I also have a fabrication studio where, where we also link design and making. Um, inclusivity, I see it uh, as a sort of term that goes even beyond us, beyond humans. I see inclusion of nature, inclusion of ecosystems, uh, trying to strike a balance uh, between different perspectives. Thank you. Mark, how would you describe yourself and why is it important to you to make the industry a better place? Good question, Marcia. Good morning to you. Um, yeah, so I just, I'm operations director for an architectural recruitment company called Urban. Um, so we're official recruitment partners of Blueprint for All. Um, we set up the, the Be More Inclusive initiative together. And um, in terms of kind of my thoughts on, on making the industry more inclusive, I think I, I've worked in architectural recruitment since 2005. I think what's been really clear throughout that time is that uh, the, 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 the level of representation really hasn't improved, particularly over that period. Um, so I think in terms of what we try to do is just work with Blueprint for All to try and you know, disrupt how things have been done to do things a little bit differently in order to try and affect genuine positive change. Arthur, when you're looking at, you know, you talked about inclusivity being so many different things, so many different facets. Um, when you're trying to create inclusivity, what does that look like for you? 
I think I. I think I don't know that one can create inclusivity. One can just be more sensitive to letting it come to you because inclusivity is about being open and being um, basically a better listener, <laughs> being able to understand that reality can be different than you and that it can have its own contradictory views. And being able to accept that and not take it personally is, is I think, core to accepting difference. And uh, Hick, you, you, that disrupting the status quo, just to tease you about. Um, <laughs> she uh, got you there. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Hick, what, what, when is, is inclusivity for you about disrupting that, that status quo? Is there a sense that the status quo isn't inclusive? Well, for sure. I mean, you just have to look at the profession and it's absolutely not inclusive. Um, I would say that... Um, yeah, one works very hard at doing these things, whether it's setting up organizations at universities to tackle issues of race, of gender, of basically inequality in, in general. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing because I think there's a lot of inertia in our industry to actually change. And a lot of that change is being driven by, met, by clients essentially requiring a kind of broader ethical shift in society and clients requiring architects to behave more ethically, have more diverse employment um, and these sorts of things. And the profession is following um, suit some practices much better than others. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, my part is, you know, one part with broader, uh, a larger group of professionals, I think, who are, who are trying to push for change and strive for this change through measurable outcomes. Do you mind sharing a bit of your personal journey in terms of when things have been inclusive and when they haven't been for you? Um, I mean, I, I should be quite blunt and kind of honest, you know, I come from quite a privileged background. I'm a person of colour, but um, I was found that you know, beyond kind of stories of when I was a child and people would say racist things to me and these sorts of things, I had a fairly smooth and easy ride compared to a lot of other people. Um, I just say, um, but yeah, um, a lot of my students have spoken about um, a lot of kind of tough, racist, um, bullying kind of behavior based around race, gender, um, you know, all sorts of, all manner of kind of things. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't disclose their stories because <laughs> confidential, I guess, to degree, yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, Mark, you, you know, this, the, these stories that um, mm. uh, Hick mentions, I mean, we, I'm sure we're all really familiar with some of the real horror stories that exist, but you're trying yeah. to turn that into something different, trying to create different outcomes. So can you talk about that partnership between Urban and Blueprint for All? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, as an organisation, we've worked with Blueprint for All for a number of years. And initially that was started off uh, in a fundraising capacity for them because I think we felt inclusion is a core part of sort of my personal values, is the values of our organisation. Uh, and we started working with Blueprint for All initially, as I say, doing fundraising, different sort of charity events uh, on an annual basis uh, to raise money for them. But what became clear really is that the synergy between the work the Blueprint for All do and what we do, then we could add more value than simply fundraising. Um, so as you know, with, with Blueprint for the work they do and the magnificent work they do is, is working with young people uh, from underrepresented communities uh, and 
really help them through through mentoring, through networking, through financial support, uh, help them pursue their dreams and um, and and enter the the architectural industry. Um, the work that Blueprint all do, typically, is, is helping those people probably up to the age of twenty one, really, so when they finish their degree, uh, and then all that whole build up time from there. But one thing I can, I've seen has been the case in the architecture industry, certainly since I've recruited it, is that to get into it, and, and the same for most chartered professions really, it's, it's often about who you know. And so if you are from perhaps a community where it, you're not represented as fully as others, it, it's, it's difficult to, to get that first footing in. Um, so with that in mind, at the end of sort of 2019, I uh, sat down with, with Sonia uh, Watson at Blueprint for All and the team there, and we discussed how we could work together to, to kind of um, make more of a positive, take positive action, really, and make a real genuine, sustained change. And we developed the Be More Inclusive initiative. So the Be More Inclusive initiative, to give you a bit of detail about that, essentially, primarily that's working with graduates, uh, graduates that come from black and minority backgrounds exclusively. Um, and we work with them from the, the point that they've qualified, they've completed, as in, so it's on their degree, um, and help them get their first footing into the industry. Because, as I say, that, that often can be the most difficult step. And we, we work with them in terms of CV, writing advice, portfolio, uh, so advice, interview coaching, uh, even how they can use their social media profile to, to really help them achieve a career in architecture and sell themselves as effectively as possible. Uh, then we we work with firms that have signed up to our Be More Inclusive initiatives and firms that share our values of inclusion and, and actively looking to try and make a change. Um, and we, we work with these young people when they're ready, represent them in terms of to help them get that first footing into the industry, their first job in the industry. Um, and, and the way we do that is we we provide our services completely free of charge, a pro bono service for that, uh, but just ask the recruiting company to make a donation of a thousand pounds to Blueprint Ball, which then, then they can put back together for, for more young people to kind of come through the program, basically, um, uh, and look to try and create that, that, that real sort of sustainable sort of chain, um, which can make a big difference. Sounds extraordinary, and I'll ask you a little bit more about it in a moment. But, um, Arthur, when you're um, describing uh, your your own practice, you, you what you describe tends to be quite an inclusive place. How do you think you've achieved that? By being curious and understanding that when you design, you are a group of person that bring different perspective onto. Um, something that will be shared civically with the public. And therefore, we are not imposing one ego onto um, a project, but we are a multiplicity of perspective sharing something that will be anyways inhabited by many people um, of different backgrounds. Of um, and, and so it's really, really important to understand the collaborative nature of what architecture has to offer and therefore it has by essence to be inclusive because otherwise it, it, it doesn't work even as a building if it's something that rejects people or where you don't feel welcome then I don't think it's good architecture in general so <laughs> the essence of our approach is really to understand that there is no one truth or one reality but that everyone can perceive things differently and and if that's the case then we have to have diversity in our office for that and how do you um, appreciate difference? I mean, what, what is it about all the different people that you really value? So difference is, is like, I would see as um, it could be anything. I mean, of course, we, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion about race, but I think it's also where are you from? 
how do you see the world? What's your religion or what's your background? My parents used to always argue <laughs> because my dad is Jewish, my mom is Catholic, and they kept on arguing about, is God a loving God? Is he not? Is, was Moses right? Was Jesus right? Like, basically, they were not um, afraid to debate their truth and to confront them so that they would see what's good in every um, backgrounds or in every ritual or in every tradition. Um, and so this ability to discuss and be open with your wisdom or your um, sort of ancestral wisdoms with an S <laughs> is something that I find really helpful when talking about inclusivity, this ability to discuss and listen. Hick, do you think that that ability to discuss and listen exists well enough in architecture at the moment? No, not really. <laughs> On topics of, I mean, we've, we've advanced conversations around gender. I think there were big campaigns around that. Now race, it seems very slow. Um, we barely have a discussion around disability, around sexuality, around um, there is com conversations around economic background, but there are no, no real attempt like action to take down the barriers, just the cost of education and living um, to really tackle those things beyond kind of attempts at scholarship programs. Of course, a lot of these are broader societal and issues that we're kind of a part of, but also I would say our profession is particularly bad when it comes to things like, um, well, all things, but particularly dis disability. Um, so yeah, I'm less, um, less hopeful actually. I'm, I'm pleased to see the changes that we're beginning to see, but I think it's very little, very late. Um, and the God is in, you know, what is it? God is in the detail or whatever, you know, a lot of it is coming down to the small print and fine print of policies, um, that, and how they're actioned and not just written up, um, which, yeah, we're still waiting to see whether that's actually happening. And Mark, you're, uh, you, you uh, have a, an intervention, as it were, at, at part one stage after that initial mm. going, uh, having completed that first part of the degree. I mean, is there more that can be done that you can see can be done before that? I think so, yeah. I think that the, the firms I'm working with, and obviously I work with a, a lot of architecture firms, um, like Hicks said, some perhaps more bought into and engaged and tried to create, uh, you know, genuine inclusive cultures than others. But the, the best ones really are uh, getting out there and engaging with communities with young people. Um, they're, they're promoting sort of the benefits of, uh, you know, what, what it's like to be an architect and showing that it is, it's not beyond uh, aspirational to do that. Um they're working for organisations. I know you had Neil Onions on here earlier, working with people like Beyond the Box and just, you know, being heavily involved in the community side of it. But I think in terms of, I think something which is really important and to build on Hick's point really is obviously the, I think the education route within architecture and just the costs involved with that, the timescales of the, uh, the, the, the to, to become fully qualified as an architect is so prohibitive, isn't it, to, to people who perhaps haven't got a particularly sort of wealthy uh, background and uh, the ability to be able to do that. Um, so I think one thing I, I'd recommend firms to do, and I think we need to be adopted more so across the industry is as a high, more of a focus upon like, the architectural apprenticeship route, for example, and that could be done obviously before 21 at level six apprenticeship uh, and then beyond that for the part two, part three, uh, you know, that, that, I think that's invaluable um, sort of as a way forward to really help make this industry more inclusive. 
You were talking about, uh, you know, some of those different pathways into the profession. Can you expand a little bit more on that and on what you've seen that look like uh, from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly with the the apprenticeship route obviously seems to be the sort of the, the key new pathway into the industry. And I think certainly uh, I've really picked up. We we as an organisation we do quite a lot of work with the um the London Architecture HR Network, which is run by Stephanie Warner and Amy Steen, and they, they lead that with absolute passion in terms of the race forum to try and make sustainable change and share kind of best practice across the HR network across um, across London and and the wider sort of population. Um, as part of the, their sessions, uh, they're really promoting sort of the level six and particularly level seven architectural apprenticeship route and 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 getting rid of some of the, perhaps the concerns and uh, unsurety that maybe some firms might have about going down that route and utilising it. I think from from my perspective, and, and obviously I talk to a lot of people um, from underrepresented communities at kind of graduate level and unsure about whether they can perhaps become a qualified architect because they're concerned about the costs involved with it. Um, obviously, I think with the current educational pathway to, to kind of do your degree, go to work for a year and then have two years where you don't get paid again, you know, that's very difficult, isn't it? So, um, and that I, I spoke to a number of people who spoke about dropping out of the industry because of that. Um, so we, we work with an, uh, quite a few firms actually who've really embraced the level seven apprenticeship routes and, um, and we're also trying to do what we can to try and show how accessible that is to do it. So um, a, a few months ago or earlier this year, we, we launched a, a level seven apprenticeship uh, partnership with Karakuri Switch Carson. Um, and that with that, we donated the, the, the actual fees for level seven apprenticeship course, uh, which is £21,000 um, from our apprenticeship levy. And then we opened this initiative up that the young people who come from black and minority backgrounds, they could apply for the level seven apprenticeship role at Carrefour Carson. Um, we'd fund the course, but they would receive all of the sort of the training, the coaching, the guidance, the support from the team at, at KCA. Um, and, and, and that was really done to, to demonstrate that um, in architecture and in any industries, you can collaborate with other organisations in order to make things happen. And um, it's just trying to think kind of outside the box about how we can make this more normalised in terms of the apprenticeship route. Yes, because it is incredibly expensive, isn't it, to, to yeah. train to become an architect. And so mm -hmm. these kinds of, of schemes are really very important. Um, you're, you're a bit out there on your own, aren't you, Mark, doing this kind of work? Uh, we are, we are. And so hopefully that will change. Um, so in, in terms of, uh, actually, I'm talking to you today, we're, I'm sat in the lobby of the Holmes Hotel, just around the corner from you in Baker Street, because last night we were at the, um, my, my team, Urban and I, we were at the, uh, uh, the, the National Recruitment and Employment Confederation Awards, where we won an award for diversity champions. Congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. Um, but um, so we are out there on our own with it at the moment. But I do feel that it's something where I, I would encourage architecture firms to put more emphasis upon their suppliers, like recruitment companies like ourselves, and ask what are we doing to try and help promote inclusion and, and diversity in the industry? Um, because obviously the, the power's there with the client side. And I think Hikaru was mentioning earlier, certainly architecture firms are getting that pressure from sort of other organisations, aren't they? I'm thinking like the Be First, um, uh, Dagenham and Redbridge, for example, to asking for practices to have a, a, a workforce which is representative of the communities that they're going to be designing for. Um, 
so yeah we, we are out there at the moment but I think that that can and, and should change. Hikaru do, what kind of role modeling do you do you want to see from the rest of the the sector around you know being better at creating inclusive outcomes for underrepresented groups? Probably an acknowledgement that we're nowhere nowhere near doing enough and we we need to learn a lot more but we also very importantly need to unlearn a lot of a lot of things um that that is inherent in our like inherent in our both our society and our profession um one thing that i think is really important is that with all of these changes and structural changes particularly around procurement and the requirements for it i think a lot of um practices have noticed that um a lot of the jobs seem to be going to the a few a few practices in particular um because i think they're published a lot and the bigger practices are immediately trying to just snap them up for um you know to, to join their team on tenders and these things i think it's really important that we move we're we're very careful about greenwashing bids and um whitewashing bids and the, these sorts of things and trying to give an appearance of of things having changed, but actually things not having changed. I think it's really important to track uh, money and power, particularly around those teams and those bids, um, how much money is going to those practices led by women, led by you know, different, of all kinds of backgrounds, color, sexuality, you know, so on and so forth. Um, because that's, I think, the only way that we're gonna be truly accountable. Um, there are a lot of organizations, I think the mayor's office, does actually require you to submit that sort of information, but there needs to be a very clear way of public procurement and privately procured projects um, weighing those things up. Um, I find myself having a lot of quite difficult conversations when we recommend people either to larger practices to join our team or to you know friends when I'm recommending practices of you know from younger generations who have different backgrounds. And a lot of it is just like they're not experienced or they don't have the experience or they don't have this or they don't have that. And it's really distressing because actually you're like, well, this is the problem. It's those structures that we're inheriting. Unless someone makes the first move, these things will perpetuate. Um, so, yeah, I would just say, you know, I think we all, the profession is by and large means well, but we have to do much more than that. We, it has to go beyond that. See you nodding your head away there, um, Arthur. What, what in particular? <laughs> um, there's this idea of um, checking yourself first. I think this idea that we have to check our assumption, our convictions, and know that we might be wrong. And I, I think that's something architects don't like to do. <laughs> we have a tradition of, of ego, of, of, of sort of saying, this is, this is it, this is the manifesto. You know, we have a culture of... of um, of imposing truth because we feel that's what a movement and a kind of um, an art movement has to be, you know, modernism, all these big isms. And so we have to kind of go out there and say truth when inclusion is all about accepting that there are other truths, that there are other issues that we might not be aware of. So it all comes down to checking oneself and our own assumption and being very accurate. You said it, uh, Ikaru. I think similarly to the environmental movement, there's a lot of finger pointing, you know, there's a lot of oh, this, that, that. And, and actually we realize the stats or the, 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 the actual real numbers, they come from people having taken risky decisions, whether it's the business or, uh, you know, even financial, like being able to 
maybe question our own business model in order to be able to finance these apprentices that you talked about, Mark, um, means that we need to re-question how even architecture can work because there was a tradition of having more privileged people going into the profession, maybe they didn't question their own business model. We started a fabrication space, we started raising funds, we thought a lot more entrepreneurial than what architects are meant to do. And that was a way to also help everyone have a salary this, uh, within the RBA standards and so on. Like it, it took a lot of reinventing. And I think this, this taking risk is something that the profession should, should do a little bit more of. In what way would you like them to to take more of a risk? I mean, is it really a risk to um, embrace those who aren't, you know, from the traditional demographic? I mean, I see you nodding. Well, I mean, it, it, it might be like a school that is not maybe the, the best school. It might be re-questioning what it is to be good. It might be re-questioning what we assume as uh, a diploma versus no diploma, but maybe being more observant of certain skills, maybe being open to the fact that someone can bring something to the, the team that is not so obvious. Um, it, it's that sort of sensitivity, what you said, the cultural, uh, the CI. <laughs> And Hick, I mean, that, that, that is a barrier, isn't it, in terms of, you know, acknowledging, you know, the education may not be from, I don't know, an elite school or, um, you know, someone coming from a slightly different perspective. I mean, it, in your experience, have you seen that the uh, apprenticeship schemes is, is having the kind of impact that you would like to see? Well, for starters, uh, yeah, um, I'd say that one shouldn't underestimate the importance of lived experience. Um, there's a huge amount of knowledge there um, that isn't a formal education of an architect, but makes you a good architect, nevertheless. Um, whether you can draw well or whether you can articulate your th thoughts in a very precise manner, you know, to be honest, I don't really care because it doesn't mean that those architects have necessarily particularly designed well for the communities they profess to serve. I mean, like, um, sorry, I've lost track of the original question. <laughs> I don't want to ask the different one. Um, but um, yeah, sorry, could you remind me? What well, basically, <laughs> I was just asking about, you know, that those different routes in, are they as accepted in the profession as they should be? No, yeah, well, I mean, like, you just have to look at, I mean, I, I know for sure, like, I was teaching at Cambridge, it's like completely undiverse, despite year on year um, having... Um, you know, news reports saying quite clearly how undiverse and how problematic it is. Um, uh, these things, yeah, I, I don't think they're changing at all, actually, to be totally honest. Um, but I mean, Mark, you mentioned the Architecture Race Forum, and I, I really mm. want to give them a shout out, actually. Yeah. If you're working in architecture, the built environment, and you're on LinkedIn, uh, if you search for the Architecture Race Forum, they are trying to bring together um, a, a collaboration, as a, a big a group of people, a coalition of people to create change, um, especially uh, around race, but of course, you know, intersectional uh, identities in order that the um, the architecture uh, profession can be better at, uh, you know, recognising different backgrounds. Um, Mark, what, what has your interactions with them been like? Uh, the interaction with them has been outstanding. So I think they've been 
huge supporters of the, the Be More Inclusive initiative. I'm, I work regularly with uh, a, a lot of sort of the members of that. I think the passion displayed by certainly the, the leaders of that, Amy and Stephanie, is, is really, really clear, comes out. You know, they really are looking to try and make the genuine change in the industry. That's, that's so, so clear. And uh, I think in terms of kind of that impart of knowledge and sharing of information throughout that forum, it, it's invaluable. Um, and I think certainly over the course this year, I know, for example, I'm talking about the apprenticeships again, but I know that a number of firms have done that for the first time based upon the information which they picked up and they've learned from the education pieces in, in that race forum. Well, thanks so much to Hikaru Nisanka, Arthur Mamumani and Mark Nagel talking about inclusive outcomes. You're listening to Reba Radio, real inclusive, brilliant action.